The following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. Uh, thank you for having me here this morning. And uh, it is a pleasure to say I'm with you fellas. Uh, I am uh, thrilled to be uh, with you as Director of Missions. Let me give you a couple of uh, uh, statements that I need to make early on. One is, uh, I loved uh, Johnny Muller. He was a great friend, a great man, a, a great leader for this association. And then I have to tell you this, sadly. Uh, I'm not nearly as snappy a dresser as Johnny was. And I can't sing like Johnny could. But one of the things that uh, Johnny and I had in common is we do love our churches. And uh, I love your churches here in Edisto. I love Berlin Baptist Church. I appreciate what you've been able to do over the years. And I look forward to us having an opportunity to uh, lift up the name of Jesus together. You see on the screen uh, the Valley of Elah. Now, when I say the Valley of Elah, that may not ring a bell with you, but maybe this will. It's a uh, scene of one of the most famous battles in the Old Testament. What makes it interesting is the battle that was fought here wasn't uh, between two armies, but it was between two people. And even people who don't know much about the Bible who never really read it, know about the people who were in the battle that was fought in this valley because it was fought between David and Goliath. Now, I know that 1 Samuel 17 is a very important story. It's one that the author of 1 Samuel wanted to make sure we would never forget, and I know that because of the space that's given to it in 1 Samuel 17, for one thing. 1 Samuel 17 consists of 58 verses. It's one of the longest uh, chapters in the Bible. It contains 912 Hebrew words, and it's one of the most detailed descriptions of a battle you'll find anywhere in the Scriptures. And we're told about the historical location, the Valley of Elah, we're told in uh, 1 Samuel 17 about the military weapons. We're even told about the size of one of the guys in the fight. So the author of the story wanted to make sure we would let this instance stick to our soul. Now one of the greatest kings who ever lived was David. He's the most honored king in Israel's history. He has his own tomb. The sign of the nation of Israel is the star of David. And we can learn a lot from David. And I know some of you are probably thinking, you've got to be kidding me, David and Goliath. That, that's almost like the Christmas story. You really don't have to go over it much because everybody already knows it. Whether you're a kid or you're an adult, you never really get tired of hearing about David and Goliath, though. In fact, it's got Hollywood written all over it. Because you've got this huge giant that would make the Hulk look like a pump, 
fighting not a man, but a boy. Now, David's only about 15 years old. He doesn't even have his driver's license. I mean, he can't drive his dad's chariot yet. But that's not the picture most of us have of David. You, uh, as you move forward in a couple of slides, you'll see a statue. Uh, this in Florence, Italy. It's the uh, Academia Galleria where it's found. It's considered one of the most famous statues in the world. It's a 14-foot tall statue of David. Michelangelo carved it. It's a tiring presence. But in 1 Samuel 17, that's not the David we're talking about. We're talking about David who was the youngest child in his family. By stature at that time, he would have been the smallest in his family. So if you looked at David from outside, he wouldn't be very impressive. But on the inside, he's described like nobody else in the Bible. It was said of David, he's a man after God's own heart. And I believe in 1 Samuel 17, as we uh, get ready to look at this chapter, we, we see what is, in my opinion, David's finest hour. This is his MVP moment. This is what got him to the major league of life. And we can learn from him not only how to be people after God's own heart, but how we can live in such a way that we would bring a smile to the face of God. And when we look at that, we're also going to learn how to face giants, how to overcome obstacles, how to deal with the challenges and the problems of life. Now, I'm not telling you something you don't already know, but we are, or at least we think we're coming out of what has been a very difficult year. Let me also say this has been a very difficult year in church life. Since uh, things shut down when March 2020, uh, with this thing called uh, COVID-19, immediately after everything started shutting down, folks started calling my office and said, and they were saying, what do you think is going to happen? And early on, I'm going, I really don't know. And we were so busy trying to come up with protocols about what churches could do and couldn't do and keep, it, keep their members safe, uh, you know, all the kinds of things that uh, uh, we thought were good ideas, and most of them were. But then about three or four months in, people started asking me, what do you think is going to happen to the church after this? I mean, in 2020, for the first time in my life that I could remember, I was not in a church building on Easter Sunday. The church that I was helping at that time, I preached for them online. I mean, that was drastically different. So how do you overcome obstacles like that? By the way, one of the things that I shared with folks as we progress forward is, when all this is over and the dust settles, you're going to be about 70% of the church who was there before come back. We're only going to see about 70 or 75% of the people we saw before. That's the bad news. The good news is people now are having more spiritual questions than they've had in a long time. People are scared. They're not sure. So they're asking questions, and if we will be ready to talk with them about the questions they have, we will have an opportunity to point more people to Jesus.
in a way that we've not had in some time. So that's the good news. But how do you overcome obstacles? Well, here's the first thing. You have to be focused on God's presence. At the beginning of the story in 1 Samuel 17, Israel is fighting the Philistines. They were their, their most hated enemy. The Philistines were on one side of the Valley of Elah, and the Israelites were on the other side. The Israelites had a big problem. And the problem was the Philistines had a giant. Now the author wanted us to know how big the giant was. Because he gives us the most detailed description of a soldier and a warrior found anywhere in the Bible. Look at verses 4 through 7. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. That's about nine foot nine inches. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he wore a coat of scale armor weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Now, he's called a champion. That's the only time in the Bible that I could find that anybody's called a champion. And a champion, the word that's used there literally means a man between two armies. Nine foot, nine inches tall. I mean, he could dunk a basketball standing flat-footed. He wore a bronze T-shirt that weighed 175 pounds. He, his spearhead weighed between 15 and 25 pounds. I mean, in the first grade, this guy would have been the starting left tackle for the Clemson Tigers. Or, if you prefer, the Carolina Gamecocks. He had challenged Israel to a one-on-one -on -one winner take all mano and mano fight. And that had been going on for six weeks. For six weeks, he had been coming out, standing in front of the Israelite army and saying, come on, take me on. And nobody had volunteered. Every day for six weeks. We're told in verse 25 that the king had even tried to bribe somebody to fight Goliath. See what it says in verse 25. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. So the man who was kill this giant would immediately have fortune, fame, and he'd even be a part of the king's family. But every day when Goliath would come out and challenge the whole army to send a man out, everybody in the entire army had a headache. I'm reminded of the little boy who was playing in the garage and uh, his dad was telling his uncle about a recent argument he'd had with his wife, who was the little boy's mother. And he said, Uncle John, 
I let her know exactly where I stood. I told her how things were going to go around the house and how I was the boss. And the next thing I know, she was crawling on her hands and knees. And about that time, the little boy popped up and said, Daddy, is that when Mommy told you to get out from under the bed and fight like a man? Well, nobody's coming out from under the bed. The king wouldn't fight. The generals wouldn't fight. The commanders wouldn't fight. The soldiers wouldn't fight. Why? They were all focused on this big giant. Then David showed up. He'd been sent by his dad to take some food to his brothers and bring back news about how the war was going. So David sizes up the situation and we hear the first words David is ever recorded as saying in Scripture. It's found in verse 26. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of Israel? Now, it's interesting that in this story, this is the first time that God's ever mentioned you see, everybody's been focused on the giant. What had the army been saying for almost six weeks? Look at verse 25. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? In other words, what they were saying is, do you see how much bigger he is than we are? David said, do you know how much bigger God is than he is? Now, everybody's looking at the giant, but David's looking at God. We need to hear this. Whenever we're facing a problem we can't solve, an obstacle we don't think we can get over, a giant we don't think we can defeat, a fear that just creeps into your soul will always cause you to focus on the giant. But when you claim holy your faith, It'll lead you to focus on God. You know, when you read this entire story, you find out that David only mentioned God two times. I mean, he only mentioned Goliath two times. There's something about Goliath and something to Goliath where both times when he talks about Goliath, he refers to him in disdain. He calls him an uncircumcised Philistine. But do you know how many times David mentioned God? Ten times. David talked about God five times more than he talked about the giant. We usually reverse that, don't we? We usually don't get God on our radar screen until we're in real trouble, and then we want to complain. Well, God filled David's radar screen. So if you want to be someone who is after God's own heart, the next time you face a challenge, the next time a problem crops up, whatever that difficulty may be, don't focus on that. Focus on God's presence. Because God is with us. Here's the second thing. We've got to be fearless in God's power. Now the good news in the story is there's finally an Israelite who's willing to go out and fight this giant. 
The bad news is, it's not a battle-tested, hardened soldier. It's an inexperienced teenage shepherd. He uh, had never probably held a sword in his life. He probably never had held a shield in front of him. He'd never worn a helmet. This is the first time he'd probably ever seen a battlefield, much less been on one. Now, why was David ready to run to the fight when everybody else was wanting to run away from the fight? Look at verse, starting with verse 33. Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he's been a warrior from his youth. But David said, Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine was like one of them. Because he has defiled the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go and the Lord be with you. Now this is incredible that a shepherd boy had to remind the king and the king's army just how powerful God is. Do you know why we're afraid so much? Do you know why we quit too easily? Do you know why we often run too quickly? Because we forget what we ought to remember, and we remember what we ought to forget. We magnify the giant that's before us, and we minimize the God that's within us. God's given all of us three kinds of insight. He's given us hindsight, insight, foresight. See, we have this ability to look backward, to look inward, and to look forward. The right hindsight will give you the proper insight to have a confident foresight. That's why David could face the present and be unafraid of the future because of what he remembered from the past. With his hands and a stick, he had killed a bear and a lion. He realized that it wasn't because of his strength that he was able to do that. It was because of God's power. And if we will remember what God has done for us yesterday, then we'll believe what he can do for us today, and we'll be confident in what he's going to do for us tomorrow. David remembered what everybody else had forgotten. David believed when everybody else doubted. Now listen carefully. When you see the God that others don't, you'll do for God what others won't. David realized there was only one who ought to fill his life. And it wasn't a trial, a temptation, a tribulation that ought to be filling his life. Even though sometimes, boy, those can sound big, they can feel like a giant. He realized there was only one thing that ought to fill his life. Now, fear will always tell us, look how much bigger that obstacle is than I am. 
Faith always says, look how much smaller it is than God is. So the scene's finally set. At last, the semblance of a fight's going to take place. You remember the quote, the rumble in the jungle? Well, this was the rally in the valley. And everybody's placing their bets. And nobody's betting on David. Not the Philistines, not the Israelites, not David's brothers, not even David's king. Everybody is putting their money on Goliath. David's putting everything on God. David knew something. See, when you count on God, you always win. That's why we ought to always be fearless in God's power. Because it doesn't matter who or what is against us if God is with us. Then here's the last thing. We need to be fervent for God's praise. Now here we go. One thing that both sides were convinced of was this fight wasn't going to take very long. I mean, this was a tornado getting ready to take down a toothpick. This was an 18-wheeler that was about to run over a minibike. This was a, a bulldog that was about to eat a chihuahua. The Philistines couldn't wait, and the Israelites couldn't watch. I mean, I would imagine the Philistines had their cell phones out. Boy, they were going to get this on video. The Israelites probably had their hands over their eyes. And everybody was wondering, what will David's last words be? Now, these weren't David's last words, but they were some of his best. Look at verses 45 and forward. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with the sword and the spear and the javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. I will strike you down and cut off your head. From this day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into my hands. David wants everybody to know this is not about him. He wants everybody to know this is about God. David's not doing this for fame or fortune. He's doing it for the glory of God. He's fighting in the name of God. He's going to be delivered by the power of God. He understands the battle is not his, but God's. Now, this is one of the most famous stories in the Bible, but I believe it's one of the most misunderstood. It's not a story about a giant. It's a story about God. This is not a story about a, a boy who killed a giant for God. It's about a God who killed a giant for a boy. This is not a story about... The giants that we face, it's a story about the God who will fight our giants for us. Now think about it. You've got a giant wearing a, a bulletproof vest, a Kevlar helmet. He's got steel-toed boots on, and he has a sword that's taller than David. His shield probably weighs more than David does. And all David has are five rocks and a slingshot. 
to be honest, who would have bet on David? Well, that's why Hollywood made the movie. Verses 48 and 49. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. Now remember David's very last words in verse 47? For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. See, David's not fighting for God. God was fighting for David. David wasn't fighting God's battle. God was fighting his battle. Now, let me lick in on a little secret. We all know this. The fight was fixed. Goliath didn't have a chance because Goliath wasn't fighting David. He was fighting God. David didn't kill Goliath for God. God killed Goliath for David. David got the victory, but God got the glory. God got the praise. God got the honor, and that's all David cared about. That's why David was a man after God's own heart. Now, don't miss this. If you read through the rest of the Scripture... For the rest of his life, did David ever brag about killing Goliath? No. Did he autograph a book he had written and sign it, David Triple GK, Great Giant Goliath Killer? No. David fought this giant for one reason. It's in verse 46. And the whole world will know there is a God in Israel. David focused on God's presence. He was fearless in God's power, and he was fervent for God's praise. Now that brings us to an even deeper truth. We love this story. We call it the story of the underdog who wins. But really the story is not about a little shepherd boy that beat a big giant. It's not primarily a story about David or Goliath or even you and me, it's a story about God. See, David wanted us to know there is a God that saves. He wanted us to know there is a God that delivers. He wanted us to know there is a God that rescues. See, this isn't a story about a shepherd. It's a story about a Savior. It's a story about Jesus. Let me explain. Have you ever thought about the fact that David was born in Bethlehem and so was Jesus? David was a shepherd. Jesus called himself the good shepherd. The giant taunted Israel twice a day for how many days? Forty days. You remember how many days Jesus was tempted into the wilderness? Forty days. The only one who would step up and face the giant that day was David, who was the ancestor of Jesus. The only one who could face Satan was Jesus. One thousand years later, Jesus is going to face two giants, Satan and sin. Verse 49. 
and he too would kneel down for the battle, but instead of picking up a stone, he picked up a cross. And where David lived, Jesus died. But where David later died, Jesus rose from the grave to never die again. And the first David needed God to defeat his giant foe. The second David was God who defeated our giants for us. The first David never shed a drop of blood. As far as we know, he never got a scratch on his body. Jesus shed his blood and was bruised and battered beyond recognition. The first David died into the dust. The second David, Jesus, died and came back from the grave never to die again. Because of him, we don't have to run from any giant. We can run to any giant because there is a God who's with us, a God who is for us, and a God who is bigger than any giant, obstacle, or challenge that comes into our life. We are at a time when folks, it seems, are more filled with fear than at any time in my lifetime. Folks are not sure what's going to happen next. Folks aren't sure how we're going to make it. And there are some people who are looking at all kinds of things that uh, might get us out of this. I don't know how we're going to get out of this, but I know God is God. And I know what we should be doing as people who are after his own heart is reminding people of that. And rather than focusing our attention on all this wrong, we ought to focus our attention on a God who wants to love us and lead us. Are we going to let him? Or are your obstacles keeping you on the sidelines? You know, uh, probably one of the things that I've done best is I've gotten old. But one of the things that I want to do as I come to the end of my life is I still want to serve him. I still want to lift up the name of Jesus. And when I'm gone, I don't care if anybody remembers who I ever was as long as I can help people remember who Jesus is. I hope you have that power, that burden, that strength that comes from knowing that. And if you're here today and you're struggling right now, maybe God brought you here so you could get your eyes, your heart, your life off of your struggles and on to the God who's bigger than all of that. Our hymn of decision is 287, and if you're here today and God has spoken to you, I'll be down at the front. I'll be more than happy to pray with you. I see we've got an altar here. If you want to come and just pray and lay it before God, you do that. And I know you can do that where you are, and that's fine. But sometimes God wants you to step forward and say, Hey, I'm willing to do battle, not because of who I am, but because of who you are.
God's spoken. You come. Let's stand in faith. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org. 